from Cape Town. This is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Good evening. Welcome to Burning Issue. I'm your host, Yazid Kamaldin. In tonight's show, we are dealing with the thorny issue of land occupation. We know that land is always a sensitive subject which lends itself to race and politics. Recently, our news has been dominated by reports of land occupation attempts in Cape Town which have descended into violence and chaos. The city of Cape Town says it has dealt with 260 incidents of alleged illegal land occupation between April and July's lockdown. The Western Cape government says these are, quote, highly coordinated and sophisticated, unquote, incidents. Attempts to illegally occupy land, city projects or community facilities include several orchestrated attempts in Cryfontein, Mfuleni, Kailicha, Delft, Tunun, Fergrove, Macassar, Milneton and Younger, among others. From what we have seen, shacks are erected on open pieces of lands, but law enforcement authorities are quick to dismantle these dwellings, which has resulted in clashes. So what is the root of the land invasions? How should the government respond? And what does the law say about the invasion of land? These are the questions we ask in tonight's show. We'll have a couple of guests on air, and let's go straight to our first guest. His name is Linda Pito. He is, a, am told, an activist from Cryfontein, and he is from the Community Advisory Services. Linda, good evening, and welcome to Burning Issue. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. Yes, and I'm um, so glad that to get the opportunity uh, to speak for this show. And I'm glad everyone in this Western Cape uh, province. Great. So, give us an update. What exactly is happening in Cryfontein? Uh, the problem as we are facing here in Cryfontein, in uh, the people evading the land. Since the issue is the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, from there they see the land. Uh, some members doesn't know that land is occupying for the houses is supposed to started by soon. Some they know, but since the issue is the COVID-19 and it doesn't have the money to uh, rent for the landlords. But uh, ever since they started that land, the law enforcement came and the law enforcement that they removed by force. From there, they starting to the picketing, they starting to be angry, they starting to toy toy, so on, so on. Okay, now you are from and you are the founder of an organization called Community Advisory Services and you are one of the mediators, I believe, involved in the recent land occupation, the in Cryfontein. What are people saying? Like, why are they going, why are they taking the land? Okay, uh, number one, uh, community advisory service, uh, meaning that cats, uh, is not supported uh, illegally uh, in illegal land and is not supported 
the protests, including the looting. But it's only one thing they supported in terms of the official of the city or the official of the government who is supposed to come listen the grievance of the people or the reason why the people are seeing that land are putting the shirt in everything. That is main thing, the focus of the, the case. Uh, or committed is that uh, what is the way forward and what is the reason the people uh, associate that land the only one thing uh, they needed from there and the way forward okay so but why are people invading the land and firstly it's 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 obviously land that is owned by the government right it's not private land it's government in Kaifondain, particularly in Plukombos, the most people are back dwellers, meaning that they support, they stay at the backyard. That backyard is supposed every month to pay the rent. It's not the same, same people are paying the same month, the same money. Some are paying 500, 800, some are paying 700, some are paying 400. Meaning that since now, was us in the country, including the province, who are in the lockdown uh, level 5 and level 4, even including now level 3, some people doesn't have the money to pay rent in terms of the lockdown. Some are losing jobs, some are not working, some are working one day, some are not even working. Meaning that doesn't have now a long, long run now to pay the rent. Still, some people are seeing the land there. They took a decision that let us go stay in that piece of land. At least, at least now is not longer game to pay the rent or doesn't all so, doesn't have okay. the money to pay the rent. So I get that it's a financial constraint because they don't have money but what do they want ultimately because the city of Cape Town's law enforcement of course removes the people off the land because it is a government property so what do they see then as the solution do they think that they should just put up their shacks and stay there indefinitely or what do they see as a solution or a way forward because the city will just evict them every time yeah, the, the only the solution now, uh, like example, as a case now, we will speak with a human rights commission, uh, including writing the letter to uh, premier's office, uh, also the mayor's office. The solution, as I think, it will be good every all of us that let us seek to take alternative land where we can remove those people to put another land and immediately they remove those people, the contractor or the development, it must start immediately first. It's only one thing, but before before they do that, they must come, listen the grievance, why the people are sitting there, after that they're taking the division or they're taking the way forward. Because a, 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 a people, is the people and also the people they have a right but but that right the official he must champion those rights of those people are sitting there meaning that is the way forward okay and may i ask where did all the people come from okay 
where uh, people, most, most people are coming from here in Trifordade, but it will in Plukombos. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, and, so, so and, they are, they are... And mm-hmm. Plukombos, and Plukombos is the, is the most, most people is the backyard in, 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 in Plukombos. So they are not coming from different areas in Cape Town, they are just from that one area. I, I'm not sure about that. I didn't. I didn't want to uh, speak another thing. I'm not sure about that. But the most things I say, Blukombos uh, uh, is only phase one and phase two only. No phase three, other phases. So that's why I said most people are from Blukombos. I'm not saying that is no other people from different areas. But the majority is here in Flukombos. Okay. We're going to leave it at that. Linda, thank you so much for your time, and we wish you all the best with your mediation work in Cryfontein. Thank you for joining us this evening on Burning okay. Issue. Thank you very much. The Burning Issue. Assalamu alaikum, good evening, welcome back to The Burning Issue with your host Yazid Kamaldin. Of course this evening we are looking at land occupation and we're also looking at what is pushing it, what's the push and pull factors actually and how should the government respond, why is all of this happening, what is at the root of, of the land invasions. Now we are going to be joined by our second guest, his name is Pastor Charles George and he's the Delft Community Police Forum Chairperson Pastor Charles, good evening and welcome to Burning Issue. Good evening and welcome to your listeners as well. Yeah. So what is happening in Delft or even in the surrounding areas? We've had, before our break, we had somebody from Kraifuntain telling us that the reason why a lot of people are going onto um, government-owned land is because they are staying in somebody's backyard and they don't have the money. They can't afford to pay the rent every month. So they're putting up a shack on a piece of land where they presumably won't have to pay this. But what's happening in Delft? Yeah, think, yeah thanks, thanks very much uh, for this opportunity. I think it's important, uh, as your previous guest uh, alluded to the fact that it is a lot of backyard dwellers uh, that was evicted. Uh, we know that no landlord was allowed to evict any tenant during the lockdown uh, process or pro- pro- provisions um, that were set up. Um, unfortunately, um, it's a catch-22 situation if you look at some of the landlords because, remember, they have also bills to pay, and if they don't receive the income, they can't pay their bills. So that was the one issue. The other issue was that there was also um, a lot of people that is on the waiting list, on the housing waiting list, and we know that there's a huge backlog and there's no clear communication to those individuals with regards to where they are on this waiting list. So that also built up some of the frustrations as well. And then obviously there was no government uh, bailout for, the, for those that lost their jobs, that was renting property, etc. So it's a number of issues, but it all boils down to frustration with regards to service delivery across the board. So, you know... When you see people protesting, they're not necessarily protesting over one issue. It's always a combination of issues. 
Let me make an example. You know, when we had load shedding for argument's sake in Delft, uh, there was one day when our electricity was off, off for nine hours. Now, all other areas were uh, um, stage two, which means it was two hours, two or two and a half hours off, but we were off for nine hours. So a lot of people that were really getting by would buy groceries, put things in the refrigerator, and we know after nine hours, <laughs> then the thing in your fridge has been affected because it's perishable goods. So it's a number of issues, and obviously people are looking for some form of leadership to say, okay, um, can someone lead us where we're going to and how this is going to happen and how we as a family can live? And, and the, the leadership component was silent, and that's where certain people also took um, the gap and saw the opportunity also to mislead people um, by, by kind of encouraging, encouraging them with regards to the land invasion, only for those people to be disappointed once again. You know, so um, we 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 wanting to also uh, say to people that they don't give people false hope because that also adds to the frustration. If you if you look at um, if, you, if you look at the, the uh, if you look at the the um, uh, uh, grant that the government has, you know that that's also failing. So it's a lot of different issues. Yeah. So the thing though is. This is illegal, so, you know, to occupy a piece of land that you do not own. I mean, I'm assuming most of it has been on public land. We do also, of course, know of cases of private land that has been invaded, but most of the current or the recent spate has been on on public land. Now, how does one even begin to have a conversation with people who are already quite desperate financially, who are now seeking to just get by going onto another piece of or going onto a piece of land where they won't have to pay rent, you know? How does one even begin to have a conversation with people to say that it's illegal? Well look, um, number one, uh, what really frustrates me is that you know the world is moving in one direction and South Africa is moving in the opposite direction. We are in the twenty first century and and the te- technology and the tools that we have available in this country we need to use those platforms to communicate to people with regards to what the processes are. So um, I, I firmly believe that there was a lack of communication uh, to these individuals. As I said, if, if you have a problem, uh, let's call it spade a spade. If you have a problem right now with regards to your water issue at home, I would love you to phone the city of Cape Town Find the call center to report that or report the, the lights or street lights not working or report the potholes. Um, if you're phoning from a community like Delft to those type of call centers, you at least need to have 120 and airtime on yeah, the device. So you, you understand what I'm saying? Government fails to understand or fails to understand the position people are in. And as I said, it's a whole lot of systems that have been failing the people and this is building up the frustration. So eventually when you keep on giving people false hope, eventually there comes a time when people get frustrated and tired and they get worn out with all these empty promises and then they just start to act out. I'm, I'm not condoning it. What I'm saying is not right. 
to to invade uh, uh, land. It's not right to protest, uh, uh, um, violent protest. Uh, every one of us has the right to protest in this country, but not to damage private property or stone vehicles or burn them. That's not the way to do it. But someone needs to listen to the cry of the people out there because the system is failing our people in this country called South Africa. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think what we need to also maybe I'm loving that we are unpacking the causes behind this Because it's so easy to be dismissive and say Ach, It's illegal what they're doing But to really to understand the, the level of, of poverty and the level of need uh, Actually in fact most of our listeners would be fully aware of the situation You know especially now during lockdown Because there have been so many stories of people and how we are struggling But particularly around the land issue What would pull, push someone You know what kind of desperation is behind the act of going with your bare minimal belongings and to then go onto a piece of open land and say I am now going to make my house here. It isn't necessarily just about a a a willing. Uh, how do you say this? Like a a, um, a desire to just go and live on an illegal piece of land and not want to pay. The fact is, people don't even have money to pay. That's really what it comes down to. So okay, so yeah. it's not just sheer criminality then. Yeah, yeah, yeah this, you know, um, um, the other issue that we need to raise is that we are dealing with perception. And people looking from the outside in perceive all these people to be violent gangsters, ruffians. Um, they perceive because we live in a township, we are all useless and helpless and we are all drug addicts, and, you know. So there's a lot of perceptions that we also need to deal with. Because what you see on TV is only one part of what's really happening on the ground. And and I think the time has come that we start to deal with these perceptions as well. But like you rightfully say, you know, um, that we must probably show the, the criminal element on, on, on national TV with regards to the, the protesting and the looting. But they don't really show that single parent that lost the job that, um, you know, our only, our only source of income was the job that she had. And, and they don't show how this poor lady needs to feed her three kids, still pay the rent, um, because the landlords are demanding uh, the rental from her. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of things um, that we need, to, we need to sit down and we need to deal with, first of all, the perceptions of how people perceive these townships to be. Yeah. Let's leave it at that, Pastor Charles. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing with us the insights from your community. Thank you so much. Welcome back to The Burning Issue with myself, Yazid Kamaldin, and we continue our discussion on land occupation in the Western Cape. Earlier, we had two guests from Delft and Kruipfontein telling us the situation on the ground and the motivations of people. We've heard that it's a financial struggle for a lot of people. They can't afford to pay rent, so they go and take their belongings and 
put it on a piece of land where they don't have to pay the rent. Now we are going to welcome two more guests to our show online and we have Cheryl Dust, the Regional Director of the Legal Resources Center's Cape Town office, as well as Zama Mgwatiu, a Program Manager at the Development Action Group. Cheryl and Zama, good evening and welcome to Burning Issue. Good evening. Good evening. It's a pleasure. Look, I'm going to ask certain questions. The goal is to understand what is happening around land occupations. Of course, we want to know what is really pushing this. It seems that things have reached a boiling point. So let's start with a basic question either guest can answer first. Why are land land occupations happening and so much of it at the moment? Okay, maybe I can start to say, I think... uh, it's Zama, right? So this is Zama talking. Yeah, Hi, Zama. Yeah. Zama, I'm quite sure. I think uh, program manager at the government action group. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a combination of things that are at play. And I think uh, it's not for us to speculate in terms of uh, why. But I think uh, it's for us to better understand the sector first. For example, a lot has, has happened in terms of the delivery of houses. But then we'll find out that uh, there's been a sector that has been neglected for all these years, the backyard sector. But then within the backyard sector, how do we start to better understand who are those in the backyard sector? Are they calling for a house? Are genuinely calling for a house? Because within the backyard sector, there are those who qualify for RTB type of a house, but there are those who don't qualify for the RTP type of a house. Hence, I started by saying a lot has been done in terms of delivery. But then, how do we start as government, as civil society organizations and private sector to rethink the approach of addressing the council's housing crisis? Okay. I mean, so you, I mean, can you just be more specific to the question? So why do you think the land occupation is happening? Is it because that there are more people needing to stay somewhere and they don't have money? Or, I mean, is it political? What's going on? The demand for housing in, in, in metros has been growing since. And I think currently, I think due to COVID-19, we're seeing a range of uh, sectors at play. For example, if you, if you look at the backyard sector, there's people there who lost jobs who are staying in backyarders. And it's a sector that is informal. The rules are informal. And we've seen uh, landlords evicting people, even during uh, the lockdown regular, the lockdown period. And how do we start to look at that? Okay. But then there's issues around uh, uh, the database. I've been waiting in the database and how long I'm going to wait. Mm-hmm. And then I think uh, lastly from my side would be we're seeing a situation whereby people have perceived that if I invade a piece of land, then I'll secure myself uh, a site uh, with services, then I'll be closer to a golden opportunity of getting an RTP type of a house. Okay, thank you. Let's hear from Cheryl. Cheryl, what are you what are you making of this? What's happening on the ground? Look, Cheryl, I think it's a very difficult question to answer. It's not a simple question, and you can't really pinpoint 
one or other factor that has contributed to the increase in land occupation. I think if you really want to look at it, you have to have a start having a conversation about the structural inequalities that still exist in the country post-1994. Um, you know, the global pandemic has laid bare our dirty laundry, and it has accentuated our inefficient response to addressing the high levels of poverty and the growing inequality in our country. The number of people living below the poverty line in informal settlements is a symptom of this inaction and of a failing state. Um, so it, 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 it requires a higher level of conversation and thinking around what we're seeing now. It's really a symptom of the problem. Um, we're already facing, we were already facing a housing crisis pre-pandemic, and there were many factors that contributed to the lack of housing delivery. The COVID-19 pandemic has, has and will have a disproportionate impact on poor black people. Rising unemployment in the informal sector, sector evictions of backyard dwellers, and evictions on state and private-owned land in general have all contributed to land occupation. So we cannot really look at one or two incidences of land occupation and pinpoint it the region. We have to look at the root causes of poverty, structural inequality, and the intentional policies and conduct of the state that continues to oppress black people and criminalize poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a much broader question. Yeah. So I think the important follow-up question then is, we understand there's a genuine need for housing, right? And there are thousands of people already on this government waiting list for a government house. But, you know, the land invasions that we are seeing, we are wondering, will this not hamper the existing government housing projects? And will it not be detrimental for others waiting for housing? Because suddenly now people feel, might feel almost entitled to, you know, a piece of land somewhere and they can just sort of like take any piece of land. And that piece of land may even have an earmarked for a future housing project. I hear you, um, but I just want to—I just want to come back to this, you know, the the issue of land occupations and what is being termed land invasion. And you know, one of the key drivers of inequalities is the reinforcement of dominant cultural narratives that seeks to undermine fairness, tolerance, and inclusion. So this constant narrative of land invasion is one such dominant cultural narrative that seeks to criminalize and demonize the plight of poor and the homeless. So, you know, in terms of our law, everyone has a right to housing. Everyone has a right not to be evicted from their homes or have their homes demolished without a court order. You know, the Constitution is clear on that. Um, everyone also has a right to dignity and equality. So this narrative of land invasion and land invaders, therefore seeks to undermine fairness, tolerance, and inclusion of people that are desperately in need of housing, desperately in need of shelter, particularly now in, in terms of the, of, of the COVID-19 pandemic. So we really need to shift that narrative. And the state must bear the responsibility of shifting that narrative rather than being propagated of that narrative. So I'd like to shy away of using words such as land invasion, land occupation of people that are desperately in need of land. It's not encouraging people to, um, to take ownership, it's also understanding and appreciating 
their plight, their struggle um, to find shelter, to find a home. There is, as you rightly say, a huge backlog in housing. But it's because of the state to actually put measures in place. And, and in these times, to develop short, long-term policies, to actually really look at their policies and, then, and their issues rather than, you know, um, as I said, criminalizing those people that are actually desperately in need of housing. Okay, I understand that there's an ideological conversation and also a conversation of not using language that criminalizes people who are essentially following or pursuing their constitutional right in our democracy. But we are talking about the push and pull factors and of course when there's an, an action there will be you know, there will be a consequence and we're just wondering how this might impact on existing land Oh, not land housing projects, sorry, that our government, whether at a national, provincial, or city level, might be executing? I think maybe if, if I can come in, just to say, I think uh, what, one of the things that was, I think you are correct to say, some of the fields of land that have been recently invaded or occupied were earmarked for housing opportunities. But then, how do we start to look at uh, issues around communication? and transparency in terms of some of the current and future housing programs being being planned by government. Because the situations whereby a committee member will ask us as an, as, an, as an NGO, what is planned for this piece of land that is next to my neighborhood? A lot of crime is happening in this piece of land, and people don't know what is planned in some of these cases mm. in terms of some of the open pieces of land within these neighborhoods. Then we are saying, how can government stop to politicize this issue of access to housing? But then be clear in terms of communication and have a consistent message between city of Cape Town, the provincial government, and the national government. Because for now, the messages are not consistent and at times they are confusing yeah. to, the, to the general public. Our guests, we just quickly have to go for an ad break. Please stay with us. I still have more questions for you. It's a very interesting conversation, helping us, of course, to understand the context as well as the driving factors behind it. Sonic Barbecue has the following amazing deals now available until the end of August for only 50 Rand each at the Ryan store. Egg fried rice, chicken hakka noodles, Chicken Malai Kebab Chips and Plain Naan Tandoori Chicken Kebab Chips and Plain Naan Chicken Curry with Two Plain Naan Chicken Dal with Two Plain Naan Chicken Kalapuri with Two Plain Naan All these are now only 50 Rand each and only available at Salih Barbecue Rylands at number 28 Pine Road Phone 021-633-0363 That's 021-633-0363 did you know that your favorite radio station is now on WhatsApp? That's right, you can add VOC on WhatsApp to comment on our shows. All you have to do is add the number 072-238-0712. That's 072-238-0712. So add us now and join the conversation on VOC.
welcome back to the show with myself, Ezid Kamaldin. We now continue our conversation with our guest, Cheryl, from the Legal Resources Center and Zama from the Development Action Group. Um, Cheryl or Zama, were there anything else you wanted to add to our last question before I continue with our next questions? I think maybe to, maybe to add, I think uh, if you look at uh, upgrading of uh, the informal settlements for those who are lucky <laughs> to get... Uh, within the housing program, it can take up to like uh, between 11 and 18 years. For example, take a Joslovo informal settlement in Langa. That informal settlement has been uh, in the process of being developed, I think, uh, for the past uh, 15, 15 years or so. So, and those who are waiting, at times they are, they are in the dark in terms of how and when things are or should be happening from the side of government. Okay. And uh, I think the need for transparency, but also building the trust. The trust has been broken between those in positions of power and the general public. Mm-hmm. Shiro, anything from your side that you yeah. may want to add? Yeah, yeah I, I echo those sentiments as well, and, and, and also add that if you, if you do have to understand the constraints by uh, presenting the local government, provincial, national government in okay. terms of housing mm-hmm. We appreciate those. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, you are, you are a, a local authority that is responsible for housing, you're the provincial authority that is responsible for housing, and you have to make plans and you have to take steps to ensure that there's accelerated delivery of housing. But there's a lot of developments that have happened in the city of Cape Town Metropole. Um, and a lot of that has not been inclusive of low-cost housing. So while you applaud, you know, um, uh, developing uh, townships and redeveloping townships and uh, providing basic services and infrastructure, you have to look at really planning around uh, creating um, viable housing options for people from the lower income group and for, the, and for homeless people. So mm-hmm. I don't think that, and it's not just a side on the city of Cape, and I don't think that government as a whole has addressed the issue uh, on a national level. Um, and, and, I, and I think that at this point in time when we are facing um, an economic crisis, um, one that will probably widen the inequality gap. Yes. Um, you have to take extraordinary measures. And it's not for us to, to, um, to find the answers for government. It's for government to make a concerted effort. And also government to have the political will to actually address these, to yeah. plan for these. Thank you, Cheryl. Cheryl, I have more questions. I'm sorry, I do have more questions, and we have two more minutes with you, um, because I would like to encourage you to, I know it's a big question, these are big questions, it needs more time, but we do have a time constraint on the radio show, and I really want us to bring across an understanding, you know. The other question a lot of people keep talking about is, politics they want to know is there a political undertone at play here for example we every now and then here for example the economic freedom fighters 
encouraging people, you know, to go onto land and take land and take back the land. But is there a political undertone at play here? And also we've got all these kind of like things between the DA and the ANC in the Western Cape, you know, the mud selling in between those two political parties using land and housing very often as part of their political attacks against each other. What do you make of the political undertone? And is there even a political undertone at play here? I think uh, maybe, maybe if I can start, I started by saying we, we need uh, the collective to rethink the, the approach of addressing the housing crisis. I think uh, the land invasions or occupations are not only happening uh, in the city of Cape Town. You go to Devon, you go to Jobek, people are tired. People have been waiting, not knowing what is happening. Hence, it's not only about the city of Cape Town. It's about different governments, uh, different uh, spheres of government coming together to say, look, this is how. And the how part should not only be thought through by a few politicians, but the people who have been in the process of co-creating solutions. For example, there's backyarders. Those people have not been supported for quite some time. And now we see micro-developers uh, claiming the space. So we are saying it's not about politics. Hence we are saying there should be clear messages and not to politicize the, the plight of those. But is it being politicized? Is it, it's obviously being politicized. Cheryl, do you have a response before we, we have to break? Do you have a response yes. to that, please? So, so, look, obviously there's, there's political undertones and there's politicians that will use this to their advantage um, to garner support of their constituents. Um, we can't be naive about that. Uh, but as civil society organizations, we would, as Rama said, we would encourage politicians at this particular time to stop cheap politicking and to, to look at the needs of the poor working class that I in desperate need of housing. Mm-hmm. I think we need to go for now. Um, we do have more guests that we want to bring on. I want to thank both of you. We are now going to speak to the city of Cape Town. Thank you so much, Zama and Cheryl. Thank you for joining us You're on welcome. Burning Issue. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thanks. Bye. Highlight. Assalamu Highlight coming to you live here from Highlight Job Buyers. The sale is here and the bargains are here. We won't stop the bargains and we won't stop the sale. And Yes, we are now offering you a fantastic opportunity. We will recover your lawn suite free of charge. That's right. Free of charge. All you have to do is purchase the material from our designer collection and we will do the rest and this is an offer you can't refuse find us in Haji Ibrahim Crescent Athlone Industria 638-5136 and Diva Tiha Creative are you struggling to find quality fresh seafood without the what is that smell? We have traveled the world to search for the best premium seafood. 
so that you don't have to. From Argentina to the Far East, we bring you the widest range of the most succulent prawns, calamari, Norwegian salmon, and so much more. Our seafood is responsibly and sustainably sourced. Visit our online store at captainhaddock.co.za and have a seafood feast with us. Welcome back to Burning Issue with myself, Yazid Kamaldin. We've had some interesting conversations on a very complex situation, the land occupations in uh, various parts of the city and the province. And of course, as we heard, it's a, na- it's a nationwide thing. It's happening in many parts of the country. So we are wanting to speak, of course, to our government officials as well. We've spoken to NGOs. We've spoken to local people on the ground. I'm now going to welcome to the show Tertius Simmers. He's the MEC for Human Settlements at the Western Cape Government. Tertius, good evening and welcome to Burning Issue. Uh, good evening, Yazid. Good evening to all the, all the Western Cape listeners. Great. Um, look, Tosh, what's, what's the government doing about the land invasions? Tell our listeners what's been happening from a government perspective. We've heard from people on the ground saying there's poverty that's driving it. There's the backyard dweller situation. There are major, major um, driving forces in the economy that's pushing people you know, out of their homes and onto pieces of land where they need to uh, make ends meet. But tell us... What has been the Western Cape government's response to this? Well, Yazid, firstly, let me just make it careful clear that the land invaders or the land invasions over the past two weeks, they, there's a portion of it that are people that have a real need, but there are those that are opportunistic and with really some criminal intent in a lot of these in invasions. Uh, that's the one part. The secondary part is uh, we have actually called as the provincial government on SAPs to do what they are supposed to do, which is act in the interest of the broader citizens in the, of the city of Cape Town, but also of our province, because they actually need to prevent combat and investigate crime, because in many of these invasions, we've actually seen that there are known figures uh, who are actually leading these invasions, and we've also been following and tracking what's happening on social media. Uh, so um, that's the one part, but also where, where we have seen the destruction of infrastructure, I mean, um, park equipment of, of in certain areas has been destroyed while uh, invaders were attempting to invade a portion of land. And we, we, we've also called on, on SAPS to actually um, arrest these people, and we've, we've called on the courts that they also need to act, uh, because how else will, will we stop what was happening? Because all these four portions of land over the last two weeks that have been invaded, the bulk of them have been earmarked for human settlements development. And the problem now is that as a provincial government, together with the city of Cape Town, our own planning is now set further back. And our law-abiding citizens who are also qualifying beneficiaries on the beneficiary waiting list of the Western Cape uh, government are now in a position where they're going to seemingly have to wait a bit longer because we're going to sort out the, the, the land that was invaded. Uh, thirdly, we are well aware that there's been budgetary cuts 
by the national department or relevant departments, my department is one of them, I mean, but looking at alternative uh, methods to actually how can we accelerate the, the delivery of housing opportunities to qualifying beneficiaries and also to build a, a communication line with our communities and I mean I've been actively busy since last year in, in the metro area engaging various communities, updating them on, on project uh, timelines and accelerating certain project timelines. Okay, I also have questions, eh, Tertius? I, no I understand that you have a lot of information you want to share, but this we need to keep this conversation going. I mean, I just want to add to your point that you were talking about criminal elements. I'm looking at a story that was published on the 23rd of July, and it talks about, the headline reads, Teachers and Pupils in Tears as Land Protesters Got the New School. And the story goes on to say, Two schools and a municipal refuse truck were set alight in Joe Slovo Park in Milnerton in protests believed to relate to land occupations. So can you tell us a bit more about your understanding or investigations into the criminal element? What are the criminal elements driving the land invasions that we are seeing in our province? Well, look, this is an anomaly that is also playing itself out in Gauteng, and we are seeing we are seeing similar tentacles and similar traits as Gauteng, and these traits are, you have a group of individuals who are seemingly leading these invasions, but what, what, um, what happens behind the scenes is what we are busy uncovering at the moment, more so in the metro area, is really People are actually being asked, in first instance, money for some of these parcels of land, and we picked that up in um, in Swartland municipality three weeks ago, where this is an issue that became very pertinent because once you start engaging some of these individuals who have moved down to a piece of vacant land, uh, they were duped into believing that they that the national government or the provincial government has given permission, but that they apparently need to give a X amount, and it varies from 500 rand and up until three, four thousand rand for a portion of land. And that's the one portion of criminality that we've observed and we are gathering all the inform- information and data. So secondly, it's the case like you just alluded to. I mean, if there's a genuine need, why do you burn down social infrastructure like a school? It doesn't make sense. And the difference between the Western Cape and Gauteng's invasions are ours are a lot more militant and a lot more destructive, which means there's an, a, a political narrative or undertone of trying to make this this uh, province and areas in this province like the state of Cape Town ungovernable through the narrative that has been, been um, spewed out over social media by specific political parties, actually inciting and encouraging people to, 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 to even take up and invade private land. And mm-hmm. we are picking that up on social media as well. So it's clear criminal intent. It's far beyond a basic human need. So it's it's really the opportunism as well that people are, are catching on to, or rather people are latching on to the desperation, and they're seeing that as an opportunity and saying to someone, give me 500 rand and you can own a piece of land. That's crazy. No, it's, it's not it's, it might sound crazy to you and me, but if an individual comes and he tries to dupe you into buying or paying them uh, occupancy rent, as some of these people call it, People actually go for it. Some of, the, some of the people actually take their last bit of such money or grant money to do that, and we pick it up in areas in other non-metro uh, in, in other non-metro municipal areas in the Western Cape. 
And that's why we're taking this objective that calling on our community to actually sensitize themselves and be part of the solution with government, as we call them SAPs and the courts to do what they are supposed to do. Yeah. But our communities are, are losing our big time because of this. Okay. Look, our, our NGOs, of course, have told us that they believe that the government's not doing enough in terms of communicating with people, for example, what is going to be happening on certain parcels of land. That is why people feel that they can just go and stay there and invade. Then there's also been um, sort of uh, thoughts that have been shared that government, while government has done quite a bit, you know, um, there's still so much that needs to be done. Talk to us about government's provision of housing in the province. What's been happening around that? Well, firstly, uh, the provision of housing opportunities for the next five years is was is was fairly set in tech. We we normally deliver anything between thirty to thirty six thousand housing opportunities across the Western Cape. Is that per year? top structures. Is that is that per year? That that or how does that when you say thirty six thousand? Because we're measuring also delivery now. You know. Yeah, that delivery output per year, which means if I talk about an housing opportunity, it means either a service site or a top structure or other forms of assistance for individuals through various grants in the settlement's family to obtain a housing opportunity. And just to give an example of the impact of the recent land invasions for the city. Uh, it will, we've lost in the last 18 months 400 hectares. Now that's the equivalent of literally one year's housing opportunities that we are not going to see happen. Okay. Can I just clarify something for one of our listeners? Listeners, by the way, Shukran, thank you so much for your WhatsApp messages. I am seeing it. We just haven't had a chance to get to it. But listener 4348 says, it is not fair that People who are already on the waiting list for so long have to wait longer because of the land invasion will be getting houses first. Can we just set that straight? Did you say or is it correct to think that people who invade land will now get a house first? I've said it before and I will say it pertinently to the voice of the Cape listeners. I do not, as a provincial minister in this province, entertain individuals who try to jump the queue by invading land. My commitment is to those law-abiding citizens that are on our beneficiary waiting list and that some of them have been waiting decades. They are the ones who I will work with. They are the ones who I will ensure get a housing opportunity in my term as a minister. So I can assure our listeners that. And I mean, beyond just your term, I mean, isn't it about justice irrespective of who the politician is? I mean, that is only, it makes sense to say that if you've been on the waiting list and somebody else joins the waiting list, they have to wait, as you have. That's correct. And even yeah. beyond my term, I mean, remember, we have a, a, a housing allocation policy in each municipality, and even as a province, that caters just for those on the housing beneficiary lists, and it clarifies who gets prioritized even beyond my term. And hence, I'm calling on the community and the listeners tonight to work with me and my department and the provincial government to ensure that people don't invade the land, because they are they are actually prolonging your opportunity as a possible beneficiary on the site. And that's why it's my call to our communities to work with me, my department, and the provincial government. I've got another question from listener 1532. Listener, I can see that you are typing. Maybe you're sending another question, but I'm going to read out what you have sent already. The listener says, I'm currently renting a house for 3,000 rand in Delft. My husband's salary got cut because of COVID-19. The owner of the house said I must be out by the end of July. 
I'm 12 years on the waiting list for a house. There are people that pay their way to get a house that have been on the list for only six years. That is the first point the listener wants to make, and you can also talk to that point as a government official. The second point the listener makes is, the land that was taken, why can't people make use of it? And this is now speaking about land that was taken that was open. Now the listener is saying, why can't that land be used? Because people are robbed and raped on that land, and the government only builds houses when it comes to voting. Okay, so I think let's tackle the, f- the question separately. The first one is around the allegation of the listener saying that she's been on the waiting list for 13 years. Another person she believes was on the list for six years got a house and apparently or allegedly paid their way to get a house. What would your government response be to that? Well, firstly, if I can tell the listener, if she's paying rent at the moment, we are on, under level three. You, 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 the individual from who you are renting, the, or the landlord, he legally may not evacuate. It's illegal. He won't even get an eviction order at the high court should he do so. So he's got no right to put to actually evacuate. The allegation of paying for people to now jump the queue, if there are such allegations and uh, the listener can provide me with that individual's details, Believe me, I can go back, check on the system because remember, all municipalities are linked to the provincial Look, I just also want to add, I just want to add information that the listener has just sent now. She's saying she's renting an RDP house that the owner got last year. Okay. At the, at the moment, I'm happy she's, uh, she's, she's clarified exactly what type of house she's renting. So, A, you can't put you out, B, Legally, uh, a person is not supposed to sell the house in in HS time, but the law is currently grey on the rental of housing, of RDP houses. I have asked a legal opinion, and I will be doing a forensic audit very soon of specific projects across the province to to see who is currently living in those houses versus who the original beneficiary was, should they differ. And then obviously I I will get a legal opinion to tell me what I want to do, because if you are renting out the RDP house, this in theory against the law because you got to ask because you, you identified a need that, that you have. Okay. And that need clearly no longer yeah. exists. Look, I don't want us to get too sidetracked into the RDP house conversation. Can you quickly briefly answer, because we have another guest that I need to welcome to the show. He's also from the local government. Can you just talk to the point of the concern that the listener has raised around the empty land where people are robbed and raped? And the person is saying, well, why doesn't the government use that land, i.e. build houses on there? I mean, obviously, we can't build a house on every single piece of empty land. I agree with you. The problem is once land is invaded, it, uh, it, it makes the provision of bulk services. Before you even build a house, you must provide bulk services on, on, on a lot of these vast pockets of land. But once it's invaded, it makes it so difficult to deliver bulk services. And when people are on that land, some of them, you know, they, they do not either want to move or uh, if they move, you know, they, you, may, you, may, you need to engage them continuously. But the cost of then servicing that site, even before erecting top structures, is, it becomes phenomenally expensive. Okay. Then the, the, the request people should not invade land earmarked for human settlements development.
Okay, I now want to welcome Malusi Boys, the mayoral committee member for human settlements at the city of Cape Town. Malusi, good evening and welcome to Burning Issue. Good, uh, good evening and good evening to Minister and good evening to the listeners. Malusi, can you talk to us? Can you talk to us about the city's response to what we've seen in our city over the last few weeks around land invasions? It must be quite a headache for the city. But tell us what you are doing about it. I mean, we were confronted with uh, an excessive uh, from different community, uh, communities on people attempting to invade land. If I make an example, on an ordinary year, we normally deal with 15,000 uh, invasions. But within the past month, we have dealt with more than 30,000 uh, invasions that have happened in terms of structures. I mean, in Kaifontein alone, today they were, they were putting up pegs uh, over the past two days that were more than 21,500, you know? You can see that this, this is well orchestrated, there's an aggression to it. But I must say, uh, we're getting good support from the provincial government uh, through human settlements and also the, the premier uh, and the, uh, the province entirely we're getting good support. Where we are not getting support fully is from South African Police Service, and we are calling on them, even from the national uh, office, for them to to support uh, for support us uh, through this, because it does not only affect the piece of land; it affects those people who have been waiting for a very long time and patiently on our waiting list, as we have, uh, you know, that have come to the show to express the, the 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 big chunk of people that are on our database. So there are those good citizens who have decided not to go and protest and bend tires, but they followed due process of registering on our database. Now those people are now, uh, those those uh, opportunities are being eroded by uh, by this act of criminality. Okay. I think we need to go for an ad break. I want to keep you both on the line because we want to share with our listeners, of course, what our different spheres of government is doing. But I also want to know how things are going with the national government. After the break, we'll continue with our questions. Welcome back to The Burning Issue with myself, Yazid Kamaldin. We have on the line Malusi Boyes, the mayoral committee, for, mayoral committee member for human settlements at the city of Cape Town. We also have Tertius Simmers. He's the MEC for human settlements at the Western Cape Government. Malusi, just to clarify, when you talked about the SAPS, what exactly is it that they are not doing or what is it that you expect them to do? Firstly, I'm expecting them to arrest people because they're doing this thing and these gatherings are happening during uh, day per life. I mean, if you look at it, uh, the regulations are very clear. There's no car, uh, gathering permitted. Why are they not acting? Because now we have people that are gathering. We still have lockdown. Regulations, lockdown regulations, they're still in place. Why are they not arresting these people who are gathering? That's point number one. Number two, uh, everywhere, I mean, if you, you have seen the visuals in, 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 in Cryfontein over the past week and some other areas, why, why are there no arrests in this particular incident? Thirdly, public order police is supposed to be everywhere. Where we are doing operations in some of the, in, in some of the areas, they're not, they're not there, you know? And that is their primary responsibility. 
So this is why we have, even when we met the, the uh, Human Settlements Minister, myself and the Mayor, we emphasized this point that he must talk his, to, his, to her colleagues and, and come up with, because soldiers are supposed to be visible. Are they visible? The answer is no. So okay. We, we, yeah. So that is that is why I'm saying the other sphere of government, which is not uh, national government, is not playing its full role and responsibility on this matter. I'm not saying they are not assisting in some of the instances, but they need to make sure that they they enforce law enforcement in our community. I want to now bring in the the, the national government role, and either guest can answer. I mean, what is the what has the engagement been like with national government on this? I mean, is there even political will to effectively tackle this problem in the Western Cape? Either guest can answer first. Um, I'll go first. Um, <clears throat> Uh, actually, I just part of me starting this interview. I had a two-hour discussion with the national minister regarding this matter, and the political role is there. The resort I did ask her to actually engage her fellow colleagues at national level, more so Mr. Bekitrele, because SEP needs to come to the party here. And from a human family perspective, we will be endeavouring together with the city of Cape Town to legally take action and to legally make examples of these leaders who are leading these land invasions. Are you saying that you're going to the courts? Uh, yes, that is one part of, of the, the, the legal approach, but to approach the court, you must have a good case study, and you also need to ensure that your, your case will be an example that can be utilized in other areas as well, and we are busy with that at the moment. And I know the city of Cape Town and uh, my, my Lucy can come in here. I know uh, they are also looking at their uh, legal evidence to do that because remember we do live in a constitutional state and the rule of law is supreme. So whatever your actions is, it must be bound by the law and processes of law. Okay. I have, I have a follow-up question on that, if you don't mind. I mean, Malusi, uh, you can also answer um, to this question. Um, I really just have to ask this. I mean, going to the courts, seeking help from the SAP is just to get clarity on this. I mean, please tell me that this is not or is this about criminalizing poverty or is this about tackling the criminals? We are not saying that poor people and poverty, you know, is being criminalized because... It's easy just to arrest people who really actually have maybe a desperate need for housing, shelter, security in a world that is otherwise hostile to them. The backyard dwellers, they're being kicked out of the backyard. We've heard from one listener being saying that she pays 3,000 rand for an RTP house and she's being asked to leave. Um, you know, I mean, let's just ask that question. Let's understand whether, what is this about? Is this about criminalizing poverty or is it about tackling criminals? Anyone can answer, sure. Can I go? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what you mean by criminalizing poverty. I just want to make a, a simple example. If you, have, you, you ride on Baden-Powell, the area that has been recently invaded, As again, you ride on, on Malibongo Drive on your way to Danun. Look at the cars that are parked next to, next to these uh, informal structures. It's, it's, it's expensive vehicles. Each and every of those units have a, a satellite dish. What does that mean? So there is no direct link to it. 
I'm not saying all those people who are there, they are not vulnerable. There are those special cases of people who are in, in, in dire need of, of our assistance. But majority of the time, we realize, and I, I think I got in once the minister was explaining, majority of the time it's people who have uh, released opportunities that have been given to them. I mean, there's a huge development in Forest Village uh, that is, is championed by the province. If you go to Facebook now, People have advertised the same units that were handed over to them. On, on they, hand, they advertise it the same day. So is, is this about being poor? No. Because part of the challenge is what I take as, uh, as uh, shack farming, where people invade land, and it's people who have, uh, who have money, they invade land in order for them to, to, to lease it to other people. That's why it, it's an informal economy. And this mm-hmm. is where we need to understand what is the rationale behind it. Look, thank you so much for giving us that information because I think very often we have very, I'm speaking for myself, limited understanding of the dynamics at play, you know. I mean, I didn't even know about this concept of subletting land illegally that you are occupying. I mean, so thank you for that. I mean, I also just want to tell you and our listeners that we have invited the National Minister of Human Settlements, Lindiwe Sisulu, onto the show, but we didn't get any response. But I think we're getting a lot of government input here as we speak. Um, You know, Talk to us about direct engagement with people who are invading land because our guests from the civil society sector have said to us that they believe government could do a better job in communicating with the public about the land that they are invading and telling them that that land could potentially be, you know, land earmarked for housing. So tell us, talk to us about direct engagement with people who are invading as opposed to just wanting to arrest them. What else is being done? Just before the minister, minister will conclude, I just want to make an, an example, uh, two examples in, in the main. At Empolin, there was a story of a guy who was naked in that area. I just wanted to remind you. Necklaced? Or, uh, uh, naked. Naked, oh. Naked. Yes. Okay, yes. very different. Along Baden Powell. Mm-hmm. Now, that particular precinct, it's earmarked for an expansion of the treatment plant across the road. That project is worth 160 mil- 162 million. What has happened now? Land invaded. It's gone down the tree. Along that same uh, uh, area, there's an Kanini project there worth 500, mil- uh, mil- uh, 500 uh, million rand, 11,000 housing opportunities, fully invaded. What is going to happen now? Gone down the tree. Last week at in, in, in Kailicha, where we engage, and these communities that I'm talking about, it's communities that we have engaged intensively. In Kailicha, we lost 420 housing opportunities. Did we consult that community? We have had a number of uh, meetings. Did we com- co- communicate with Nkanini community? We have had a number of opportunities, I mean, uh, engagement. What triggers this? Because that's the primary question. It's individuals who are not even on our waiting list, it's young kids who are burning tires because they know very well people that we're prioritizing is the vulnerable. Your elderly, your, your, your disabled, and child-headed households. Now, they don't fit in that category. What do they do? They opt to invade and not jeopardize the opportunities that are supposed to be given to good citizens that have been waiting. 
Over to you, Minister. I just want to say that you have a very tough job because I'm beginning to, I mean, we, I understand a lot of the challenges, you know, and I, when I ask you a tough question, I'm also just doing my job. But I can honestly say, I mean, I'm looking at the statistics. I mean, another housing project, 1.3 billion rand worth of housing projects under threat from land invasions. People who, of course, just want to take from the government as opposed to wait in line for their house. Okay, MEC, did you want to also respond? Yes, just on what, what uh, my colleague Malusi has said, and I mean, together with the city of Cape Town, we have actively over the last 18 months engaged various communities regarding provincial and city-led projects, updating them up to two times in the last 18 months. So for civil societies to say that there's not sufficient communication, that is incorrect. Then one also needs to understand that in each of these communities, they normally elect a, a structure that represents their community when it comes to human settlements. It's called the Project Steering Committee. And we continuously, on a monthly basis, communicate through these structures as well. So as Malusi has alluded to, everything that we've observed happening in the metro area over the last two weeks, it's purely criminal. Because there's no lack of communication. We're even utilizing technology to reach our possible beneficiaries through Facebook and so forth. So it's not that government is going above and beyond the normal approach of communication. And hence, my, my repeated call that the community start working with us, with the city, that stop these further land invasions because ultimately projects are earmarked for a lot of these parcels of land. Your councils are aware of it. Your project steering committees are aware of it. Don't get criminals who want to now capitalize on your living conditions. Stop the future improvement on the quality mm -hmm. of your life. Look, I mean, I was just going, I was just giving you the right to re of reply there because it is something that an allegation or, or a comment that had been leveled against the government. I'd like to also just to go back to the WhatsApp messages because this gives you a sense of what citizens are saying and it's such an important engagement to, on, on this show at least, to ensure that our citizens connect with our government and other officials and even civil society organizations that say that they, of course, want to work towards improving our society. Listener 8691 shares this opinion and of course government officials on the line you don't have to respond to every question or every message that comes through but you are more than welcome to also share your opinion. So listener 8691 shares saying government makes owning a house in Cape Town so unrealistically expensive to the point that people are forced to occupy land illegally. They also drag their feet to build adequate low-cost housing. I think I would actually like to hear from our government officials on the feelings or the thoughts that people have that government is dragging their feet to build adequate low-cost housing. I mean, is, the, is it maybe that we just have too big a need and that it might, it might seem like government isn't doing enough too fast? Just quickly, there's, there's something that you need to understand and I, I think so that your, uh, the citizens can also uh, fit into themselves. Housing uh, as in nature, it's, it's grant funded. Now, the only time on the, the any any delivery or units that you can build are based on the grant that you receive. Now, in the in the in the intervening period, we have received a cut of 190 odd million rand. Now, what does that translate to? In the previous years, I was able as a city to produce more than 4,500 unit housing opportunities per financial year. What, does the, what is the implication of what is happening now in these budget cuts? It's going to make us build less than 2,000 units. 
there's a demand of more than 500, uh, sorry, 340,000 people that are on our waiting list. Now, there is no money where we can get someone. We only get funded by the grant that we receive from national government. Now, when national government cuts our budget by more than 50%, what is the expectation? Are we expected to meet the same demand with less budget? It can never be. Okay, thank you. Our listeners, 0115. In fact, two of our listeners are now going to or have alluded to what is a perception. And some people might say that it is a perception that discriminates against people from elsewhere. Listener 0115 says, One of the major problems is the political influx of people from the Eastern Cape to Cape Town to bolster the ANC and EFF parties. This is creating tremendous pressure on housing and results in shortage of jobs for Capetonians. And then listener 0595 says, Land invasion is political. There are people who are waiting for 30 years to be... On, on, on a list for a house but if you go to the starter homes in Delft or the Cape Flats, most of the occupants are youngsters or single people from outside our provinces why does this perception persist that it's people from outside of Cape Town or the Western Cape that are here to take houses from locals do you guys can you confirm so that? What, is it mostly what, people I, I from don't other? know, yeah. I don't know what, 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 is outside, what uh, outside means because across this country, we we serve South Africans. Mm-hmm. Now I don't. I didn't know. Now now we we still it is us and them. Because what happens is people that are now waiting list. Uh, it's people who have registered, and that's the uh, the process in which we follow. I mean, province even currently is working on a, a more sophisticated manner where they want to utilize an app in terms of people uh, accessing housing opportunities. So I don't know when who are the outsiders. If it's the foreign nationals that they are referring to, well, what normally happens that I've... I've Malusi, the, Malusi, excuse me, they're referring specifically to people from other provinces and specifically even the Eastern Cape. I mean, this is an old argument. It's an, it, it keeps coming up when we talk about land and housing. It's, it's a flawed it's, argument. And I'll tell you why I'm saying it's a flawed argument. I'm saying it's a flawed argument primarily because... Here we are building one nation. And now, immediately we, we go back to segregation, then I can't participate in that conversation. Mm-hmm. I can't participate because that is as has been entrenched over the years by, by apartheid government. By the Bantustan mentality. The the, yeah, mentality. In terms of dividing mm-hmm. us, now I don't want to participate on such conversation. Okay. Because here we are, we are working on social cohesion, we are working on building a nation. Now, we have people of different uh, uh, races working in different provinces. Now, immediately we're going to now start saying this is us and them. Then it means we are igniting a fight that we'll never be able to deal with. Yeah. Look, I think what is very evident coming from our listeners is that evictions are happening. Even though the government has said that there should be no evictions under the lockdown. I mean, I just got a message from another listener. They sent the message saying... Sitting here worried, I don't know what to do. You packed all our stuff together here by my granny and I don't know where we're going. So it's about addressing those issues as well, right? I mean, isn't that part of the solution, going to the cause of the problem? Uh, I can come in here. Look, uh, I do concur with you, but the problem is that the listener who sent in that message has got rights. And once again... The police are supposed to enforce the alert level three regulations prohibiting evictions. 
My advice to that listener would be if he or she has a housing need or an urgent housing need, by contact with a relevant ward councillor and the process the due processes can follow. Because we also need to acknowledge that many a times government empowers our communities, but sadly many a times when it comes to an urgent matter, the assistance which they have been afforded in the past, which is part of empowering them, does not kick in, unfortunately, because human nature takes over. Uh, but I need to emphasize, we're under alert level three. You are not supposed to be evicted. Mm-hmm. I've echoed this many a times. Once again, another proof the police are not doing what they are supposed to be doing. Yeah. So we need to wrap up with yourselves now because we have someone from the Verkman's attorneys coming up after um, this. We are going to go for a quick ad break. I want to thank you so much for sharing, of course, the work that you are doing as the city and the province. I'm thanking Malusi Boy, the mayoral committee member for human settlements at the city of Cape Town, and Tertia Simmers, the MEC for human settlements. Thank you so much for your time on Burning Issue. Thank you, Paul, and thank you for the invitation. Welcome back to The Burning Issue with myself, Yazid Kamaldin. We are now going to welcome Aneli Ngidi to the show. Aneli is with Verkman's Attorneys. Aneli, good evening and welcome to Burning Issue. Thank you very much, Yazid. Thank you for having me tonight. It's a pleasure to be with everyone and the listeners. Good evening to the listeners as well. Great. So, Aneli, just to put you in the picture this evening, we have already spoken to activists, we have spoken to people who work in government, and of course we want to now share a bit of information around the legalities on the land invasions. We've also talked to someone who says that the wording is completely incorrect. She doesn't believe that this is land invasions because under our constitution we all have the right to housing and, you know, all and, and everything else. Let's talk about the law. Let's talk about the Constitution, Anneli. Um, in light of the Constitution and our rights as citizens of South Africa, what does the law say around land invasions? So I think the, the best place to start off is obviously unpacking what Section 25 and Section 26 of the Constitution actually provide to citizens. So Section 25, um, what Section 25 says is that everyone has the right to not be deprived of their, of their property. Um, and the law um, does not permit an arbitrary deprivation of property. So what that actually means is that no one can arbitrarily deprive you as a lawful property owner of your property. Um, This is not an absolute right, which means that you have a right to property, like a right to access to water or access to education. It means that the Constitution protects you as a property owner from having your property um, deprived from you in an arbitrary arbitrary manner. Then second to that is Section 26, which is the right to access to adequate housing. So those two are separate in that it recognizes that as a property owner, your property must be protected under the Constitution. And concomitant to that is that everyone should have 
um, the right to access to adequate housing. And that's obviously dis- uh, distinguishable from owning property in the sense of a title deed that says that Earth XYZ belongs to X. And um, Section 26 rather says that you have the right to be given access to adequate housing. So when we talk about um, are people actually permitted to um, unlawfully occupy your property, Section 25 actually does come to the rescue of landowners in that it specifically prohibits the arbitrary deprivation of one's property. Mm -hmm. And what does it say, though, in light of public land? Because that's what we're seeing a lot of at the moment, people taking over or occupying public land, government-owned land. So the same applies to public um, public land as well. The Constitution doesn't distinguish between privately owned land and state-owned land because obviously state-owned land is, whole, is held in the custody of um, the, 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 the state and it's for the benefit of everyone. So when people take it upon themselves to actually... Um, occupy state property, it's actually not permitted because the, 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 the law or Section 25 doesn't distinguish between a state or the state owner or a private owner and that the same protection that is given to a private landowner is available to, 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 to the state when its properties are being um, invaded. So the actual occupation of state-owned land is not permitted as well in terms of the, 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 act, the Constitution. Sorry. So what we're seeing are in fact is in fact criminal. It's against the Constitution. Correct. It's unlawful behavior that goes against the Constitution. And just because the property is in the hands of the state does not mean that it's um, it's a free-for-all and it's a property that can be taken by anyone. Um, there's a process that needs to be applied when um, determining whether or not a property is suitable for human occupation. There are a number of considerations that need to be taken into consideration, such as spatial planning, what is the property currently zoned for, is this going to be a a development or a property that falls under the land reform um, arm or is it the distribution or the restitution. There are a number of factors that government applies itself when it determines what is the suitability of this particular property. So when um, the community or people at large take that into their, their hands, they take away the state's power or the state's ability to adequately allocate um, property based on what the community's needs are. I mean, also something that you said earlier on that stood out for me, two words, for everyone, not for an individual, not for a group of individuals, for everyone. So when people invade land, it's kind of like saying, this is just for us, this is not for everyone. Correct. It's a form of self-help. And, and as one of your previous guests said, it flies against the rule of law. Um, and when we, when, when we start encouraging behavior um, where people can take the law into their own hands, it's a very slippery slope and it undermines the rule of law. And it actually it, we're going, it, 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 it promotes anarchy in a number of areas um, in society and in just in general where we are unable to plan properly because you can't earmark a particular property for development or for a sale or for anything because we are all um, operating under the apprehension that um, the, the property may, might be um, overtaken or invaded overnight. So it is quite important that um, people adhere to the rule of law and understand that um, these, uh, this type of behavior is actually not sanctioned by the Constitution.
I mean, I've heard those fears. People, there are people who talk about not wanting to buy land or invest in land in South Africa because it could be invaded and the government will do nothing. I mean, this is the kind of thinking that we hear. People talk about, no, rather buy land in another country, you know, invest somewhere else. So there's an, a bigger impact. There's an economic impact. Land invasions has an economic impact then as well because if people begin to feel unsafe or insecure in the country, they just won't put their money in the land in the country. Definitely, and at Worksman's we've had a number of international and both local clients who are very concerned about this um, repeated pattern of behaviour. And we, as lawyers, can only give um, uh, we can only give um, uh, assurances to a certain degree where we give them practical steps to implement when it comes to safeguarding their property. But we have definitely witnessed at Worksman's attorneys uh, a decline or a reluctance to invest in property in in in, in South Africa purely because of uh, of this particular um, type of behavior. And we're also experiencing amongst our clients, a number of clients who are coming to us and saying, but we, are, we have a deal that is on the table. We are unable to get investment because right next to our business park, there is a, uh, an informal settlement that has um, established itself over the, the, the last couple of months. So it does have an adverse impact on, on, on economy and um, the market and uh, confidence in the certainty because what investors like to hear is that there's certainty in law and that there's certainty that the law will be implemented correctly but unfortunately we do not have we, we there seems to be a habit or a, uh, a pattern of behavior where people are not abiding to what the law says mm-hmm. now look the other thing is of course we live in a democracy and part of living in a democracy is that we have to be humane humanist we need to put people also very much you know, the law should be about protecting people. Yes, we are protecting individual, I mean, property rights and state property rights. But when we see cases go to the courts, often it gets very complex and we've seen judges and magistrates rule in the favor sometimes of land occupiers, of land invaders, saying that, you know, the constitution and the rights of people and the humanist approach is is the route to take. And I mean, what do you make of that? I mean, why is it so complex when a case or a land invasion case sometimes gets before the courts? Why is it sometimes so complex? So what the courts have to look at when they are tasked with determining whether or not an eviction should be granted or an interdict that is going to lead to an eviction is going to be granted is what is going to happen to those people. So they have a test that the courts need to apply, which is, is it just an equitable to evict or to grant that particular order that is going to result in, um, this, uh, in, in people being displaced? And these considerations are obviously borne by our historic, uh, the history that you come from where um, evictions could be done summarily and you could be told to leave overnight. So this consideration has been implemented to safeguard against that particular um, mischief that we saw so much of during, um, before our democracy. So this um, into the introduction of this particular requirement has now required courts to interrogate the motive of the, the eviction and what is going to happen to those individuals who are going to be affected by the the eviction order. And that's where things tend to fall apart in that 
there is un- we the state or the property owner or even the occupiers are unable to say or say, say that they they've got nowhere to go. The municipality does not have um, is unable to provide them with temporary accommodation, or the state does not have funds to um, absorb these particular individuals into their into their existing uh, housing schemes. So when the courts have to ask, is it just and equitable? Is this going? Is this eviction order going to result in homelessness or people being displaced? That is where um, people are unable to give courts a satisfactory answer that allow them to give effect or grant the particular order that is required. So that is where most where, where most cases do tend to fall apart because there is no um, there is no step or there is a very little provision for um, providing people who are going to be displaced in terms of these land invasions with alternative accommodation that will ensure that people's dignity are, are, are maintained and people are moved effectively and people are actually kept safe. Mm-hmm. So the follow-up question to that, just for clarity, I mean, is the government obliged to provide to provide land occupiers with an alternative form of accommodation? So the the, the question, the answer to that question would be, who who bears the duty in terms of the constitution to provide access to adequate housing, and that does lie with the state. So whenever these questions arise. The problem is that the state does not have the necessary infrastructure and um, and budgets to accommodate these individuals. The duty, and the courts have opined on this on numerous occasions, the duty to provide um, occupiers with alternative accommodation does, does lie with the state and not with the property owner. Okay. So when it comes to recourse, let me just go back to um, because before we before I interviewed you, we talked to um, the MEC um, for human settlements here in the Western Cape, and he talked about the fact that they're going to go to court, they are going to seek um, legal action, you know, to ensure that they protect state property. Can you just clarify for us what is the recourse for property owners when their land is occupied? Because there are cases even of private property owners, you know, who have been struggling with people who have put up uh, uh, informal uh, dwellings on their property? So the very same avenues that are available to the state are, are available to private landowners. At Worksman's, we've worked extensively with property owners who've been faced over a weekend or even overnight with their properties being invaded by hundreds and hundreds of people. And what the property owner needs to do in those instances is approach the court with, uh, with, with as much uh, as quickly as possible in order for them to secure an order to, 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 to allow the sheriff and the SAPS to assist those particular individuals from moving. So as soon as you see any form of movement, we, we encourage you to approach the courts, get legal advice, and be before a judge before you are sitting with a uh, an invasion of 5,000 people that is going to be very difficult um, to, to give effect to. I mean, you know, like not everybody's going to have that money. I mean, is there like a certain period? Say, for example, if somebody came onto a property and they put up a shack, right? Now, I see them there let's say after the first day is there a time period should I get them off my property ask them to leave potentially even break down the shack because that is sometimes what you have to do unfortunately if somebody invades your land break down their shack uh, is there, should it be done within a certain period of 24 hours or should they be off in a particular time period 
as soon as possible. So mm. most some people do approach SAPS who are able to explain to that particular individual that they should not be on the property. But the sooner the better. I wouldn't encourage anyone to obviously take down another individual structure because that just tends to escalate issues and that's also uh, a form of self-help that I would not encourage um, in, the, in those circumstances. But the sooner the better you approach that individual, notify them that you are the owner and make it very clear that under no uncertain terms are they permitted to to, 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 to occupy the property and should they not um, uh, vacate the property or take down the structure or move their pegs that they have alloc- when they allocate and stand to themselves, that you will take legal action. And um, I know not all property owners have access to to, 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 to attorneys, but there are um, legal resources centers such as um, propono.org and other um, law clinics at uh, universities that are available to assist private property owners as swiftly as possible. Yeah. And then my last question, just for clarity, for example, if the person is on the property, is there a period, if, they, if they've been on there for like 24 hours, not 24 hours, sorry, maybe even longer, uh, maybe I'm living in another province or even another part of the Western Cape and my property is, let's say, two and a half hours from me and I have only go there, let's say, every two months. And this is what happens. People have holiday homes or properties that they go to like every two months or something. After a certain period, uh, does it become more difficult for one to get people evicted off your land? And could they even begin to claim a right to staying on that land? I mean, we have a case in Skarpkral, for example, where somebody has been unable to get people off their property for, let's say, a decade already. So, they, they, the first question that you asked us, is there a specific time period? No, there isn't. So, and why I said the sooner the better... The more time the person establishes themselves on the property, the, the more difficult it becomes for the courts to grant you that order that you require. And that example that you gave of 10 years, these are probably individuals who now through the passage of time, they've, uh, they've established themselves in a particular area. And we mustn't forget that once you have been living in a place for um, a year or so, you take there's, a, there's an emotional attachment to that, and courts are then reluctant to remove people from those um, areas that they are now have that they now have an emotional attachment to and now consider their home. So that is why it's always encouraged for you to move as quickly as possible. If you have a holiday home or you have a vacant piece of property and you live in another province, ask your neighbors to keep an eye out and work as a community together to keep an eye out on your property. As Mm -hmm. soon as you you come across someone who seems to be marking or allocating stands, get the community to assist assist you with communicating to those individuals that they are not allowed to be on the property and that they need to leave. Thank you. Anneli, we're going to leave it at that. I want to thank you so much for your input this evening. We really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much, and thank you to all the listeners. Mm-hmm. So that's the end of our show this evening. From myself, Yazid Kamaldin, enjoy the rest of the, of the evening in the company of the Voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.